There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your settings. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. Welcome to Sci-Fi Talk on the Fangirl Zone, a podcast where we discuss shows that used to be on the Sci-Fi channel. I'm Steve. And I'm Sean Fangirl S. And tonight we're discussing episode 10 of season 4 of The Expanse. But, Steve. Yes. We have somebody else with us as well. Oh, do we now? Coming to us all the way from Ohio. You've heard her responses to our podcast. We have Christina. Hello. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be with you two. Talking about The Expanse. It's not even funny. I'm obsessed. You know this already. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for asking. I was very flattered. So I will admit I waited until today to watch it so that I had everything 100% fresh in my mind. What? And it it (laughs) took a lot. Yeah, I'm like, all right, when are we recording this? Because I got to (laughs) watch. So I want your reactions that you had at the end of the episode without going into it. Just what were your reactions? Steve, what, what was your reaction? It doesn't look like things are going to end well. Very, <laughs> you know, we got some problems that we got to deal with, and I kind of hope everybody manages to stay alive in season five because I have my doubts. Christina, that's a mild way of saying it. Holy crap! Holy crap! Holy crap! Holy crap! <laughs> holy crap! <laughs> Marco and Naros. Holy crap! Those are the two words that just kept going on and on and on. Yeah, I was surprised. I'll say that. And the way it ended, I felt like it wasn't as big of a cliffhanger as we've had in some other shows. And I kept thinking, did they announce another season? Because I don't remember. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, maybe that's why they didn't do like that huge dark matter-esque cliffhanger on us. So you were underwhelmed. I was, no, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I was just surprised. Like, I kind of thought it was going to not leave anything. Uh, Not not leave it. Not close anything is what I should say. So I feel a little better. And obviously, we'll get to it as we jump in. Because there's other things that I'm like, wait a second. Right. I don't know if I'm looking at it as just like a fan and hopeful. Because I kind of project a lot in this show. So... (laughs) We'll see. Steve, why don't you jump into episode 10? All right. The Ebola burn. Ashford closes in on an enemy while uncovering a dangerous plot. Avasalara faces a crossroads in her political and personal lives. The Rossi crew works to establish life on Illis. And we'll start with Avasalara. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. My favorite person. My favorite. Isn't she? Queen of the universe. Yes. Uh, I love her so much. Unfortunately, it was not a good night for her. No. As we learn mm-hmm. that Nancy Gao barely beats Avasalara in the race, so now Gao is the Secretary General of Earth. 
And if I was Avasalara, I would be hightailing it off that planet right now. I'm going to say, based on the way everything ended, I'm going to put a little asterisk by Nancy Gao being the Secretary General. Because Mm. I don't know how long that's going to last. That's very fair. Because she wins the election, but the actual passing of the torch has not occurred yet. That occurs on Luna, which is where Christian is heading off when uh, she has that talk with her husband. Right. Yeah. Oh, did that not hurt? Yeah, because he reminds her that she didn't initially want the position, and maybe it's for the best that she lost. And, of course, she tells him, I need to go to Luna, and she would like him to join, but he's not into it. Oh, my God. When he said that, I'm like, wait, is he saying what I think he's saying? It is a moment. You know, if you've been married for as long as they've been married, it's almost like discovering a side of your wife that you really haven't seen before. You need some time to adjust. I don't think it was like an ending of the marriage. It's, it's There's too much between them. It's more like, you know, I'm going to sleep on the couch tonight. Yeah, I kind of feel that way too. He needs to kind of reassess how he feels about everything. And he's not ready to bail, but he's going to need to make some adjustments in what his expectations of her are, I think. Well, I hope everything changes. Yeah, another thing that I think is, because I know I've been in my feedback very hard on Kristen this year because she's she's acting in in a way that's very very authentic to her, but it's not in, it's almost watching her spiral. And we're seeing the reasons why she has never put herself in that position to be the one who wears the crown. Christian's position has always been the one that gets to freely move behind the scenes. And if something ends up where we didn't get all the information right, or we were going down, like in season one, where she had the guy from Mars, like, we're, we're going to test this information if it, it's not right. Well, no sweat off my back. I get some wine. I'm the person advising people, but I don't have to take the blow if I'm right or wrong. And for the first time, she's in this position where it's only her making these decisions, and how does that coincide with her personality? Very okay. true. Now, of course, <laughs> we see her go back into her office and basically make a little recording for Nancy. I really liked that, and I thought it was really good advice she had left her. I have to agree with that. I thought she was actually being very gracious in doing that, so... <laughs> kind of give her a props for being a good loser and not a sore loser because she sure could have not done anything and not given her any kind of advice on how to deal with things. What I loved about her giving that that moment was that it did come after she didn't get her husband to go with her to Luna. And also speaking out of the other side of my mouth, even if you're upset with your, your wife at the time, I would have at least gone to the passing of the torch just to be a friend. Don't don't not show up for your wife. <laughs> so I know I was giving him stuff about sleeping on the couch, but he also could have done a little bit more. But I think it is of note to see that Christian had to lose a lot before she got to that moment where she would be humble enough to say, these are not thrones that we are given. I have an opinion. I hope I am right or I know I'm right but I hope I'm wrong and I think that is kind of where 
Christian, unfortunately, she had to go through all of this to learn that and be able to give that speech versus this is how she's always felt. And while I definitely like, that's why I love Christian as a character is because she's able to look at that inward portrait of herself and come out of it with a little bit more grace, a little bit more humility. But she definitely had to get herself there. I don't know. What do you guys think? I agree completely with you. I think that's definitely something that she needed to experience to get to that point where she did realize that, yeah, some things need to change. Yeah, and I really actually like the last sentence that she left, which was, one of us is wrong. I think it's you, but I hope it's me. That really surprised me. So I think she has really changed her attitude, and it it took a lot for her to get here. And then out of nowhere, she gets a call from Bobby Draper, who wishes to go to work for if the offer still stands, and she tells her that something is afoot on Mars, and it seems like the belt and the Martians are in cahoots on some shady dealing. Yeah, bad timing indeed. The worst timing. (laughs) But hopefully this will get her off of Earth. After she does her thing on Luna, she'll go to Mars and see Bobby and we'll be safe and sound before anything else happens. I hope so. Hopefully she goes there before Luna. Like, just I'm going to swing over and pick Bobby up real quick. Right. And (laughs) speaking of Bobby, we head over to Mars and we see her meeting with Lily. And the crew at their usual hangout. And, of course, in episode 8, Isai asked Draper if she wanted out since her debt to him had been repaid several times over. And she washed her hands in the situation. So, of course, I was surprised. Yeah. (laughs) And so was Lily, because she didn't know why Bobby wanted back in. And Bobby tells her that she just doesn't trust Beltran. I think we were all in agreement. Yes. And also, why would Issei take on a mission without knowing all the details first? That seemed to be a problem with Issei, which, from what we've seen of his character all season long, that's just not him. I just feel like he's becoming increasingly desperate. There you go. There you go. You put the nail on on the head right there. Issei is one of those interesting characters where... When we first meet him, we're all like, oh, he's a bad guy. He's corrupt. He's not good. We're definitely not happy to see our white hat Bobby hanging around with this guy. Then we get to this episode where we've learned a little bit more about who he is and what that first conversation they had where he says, Mars is going to need more people like you. What does that mean? That means that despite what he is doing, his side uh, hustle, it's for, to him, altruistic goals. My goal is my family. I'm trying to get them to this new place where the, these rings are going to happen. Christian can feel it's not going to happen. Everyone can want it not to happen. But right now, the world is rushing there. And he's just trying to get his family a place, a fair place there. And he honestly believes himself to be a good Martian. He doesn't want to cross certain lines, but he'll do what he needs to do. And so because he's desperate to get his before the getting's gone, he's just deciding to be a little less cautious than what he normally would asking those questions. Because 
not just that it's military. You guys catch that tablet? That's active military, which is not usual. Exactly. No, I didn't catch that. <laughs> I would do a screenshot. I'm going to just tell you anyway. But I, I would do a screenshot to go back and see that tablet that Bobby had when she's looking at who has uh, authorized this operation. Because that's why I said the things on Mars are, it's so much bigger. It's done so beautifully, subtly well. This was not an arc in any book whatsoever. It takes a little bit from God's uh, wrist. But this small little thing that you've been watching is so much bigger. And you don't really notice until this moment where you look at that tablet and it says protomolecule specialist. Right. Gate specialist. Must miss that one. Oh, yeah. And then they're not naming subordinate. They're naming people high in the military. So I think I asked the question and some feedback was, what do you do with a, a planet that is still Mars, but now has this new opportunity where their biggest and brightest will be, go? What do you do with that? Yeah, basically. And I think that's what's driving Issei as well, is he realizes that the terraforming of Mars isn't going to get completed because everybody's going to bail because they can find a planet through the rings that they don't have to terraform. I think they're, the Martians are starting to look at this very much like the Belters are as, hey, we can find a home that we don't have to do anything to. Just set up mm-hmm. the house and go. I mean, it's a generational thing. They've been living under domes. They don't have greenery. They don't have a sun. They're all working towards this goal. And kind of like the same reason why they left Earth. That's the irony of the situation, right? They leave Earth all these years and and generations ago so that they can build this new planet on this rock. And then all of a sudden, like Mars was to Earth, the rings now become the new Mars, so to speak. Except it's easier. So even if good Martians, and I do believe there are some. I love the conversation with David last episode where he's happy to be a part of the terraforming project that are going to be good Martians and stay committed to that culture and stay on this rock. But it's an inevitability at this point that the financial and everything that would make Mars great to be that great winning power, it's not going to happen on that rock anymore. Right. Bobby does her digging and finds out that Beltran died on a train. Most likely, he was murdered. So, this is not good. So, she starts to head out and meet up with where the deal is going down. As Issei and his crews are present for the big exchange. But, didn't Things work out Things go that about way. as well as everything for our crews lately. Yeah. Suddenly, gunfire is unleashed from the opposing side. As they were lying in wait to ambush Issei. And, of course, Bobby swoops in to try to save her crew. Of course, Issei and two others, it's too late for them, and they die. Lily does survive, and Bobby tells her to get out of there as she goes... And she still doesn't. No. (laughs) No, she doesn't. As Bobby tries to follow the culprits, but a little too late, as they've also set a booby trap, which just about gets rid of Bobby and Lily, but they do survive it, and make it out of there. Now, Lily reveals that she has a cousin on Cersei, so she'll hide out there, and Bobby tells her she's gonna stay put for the time I'm being. I'm surprised that those two kind of, I guess, are cozy all of a sudden. Yeah, that was a little surprising, but I think just because both of them 
had ill feelings for the way Esai was going in this, that it kind of gave them a little something to bond over. Okay. I think they've been bonding for the last few episodes because they've always had this kind of back and forth because she was using, of course, her nephew to get into this game. She thinks he's the bad influence. So, of course, Bobby's always blaming her. But then you get in the crew and you got your reasons for being here. And despite both not trusting each other, they just they kind of made this bond together in which. They both have a goal in which they care about Isai and their little crew. They've become a little family. And then the more they've gotten to know each other, they've break, broken down. Because the biggest thing that Bobby had against Lily is the fact that she thinks she killed this officer, right? So that's what put her in a bad spot since the beginning. But then it turns out that she actually didn't murder the man, that it was self-defense, and that she's not dumb as well. She's tried to look into the information. She gave the information to... Bobby to say, hey, you've been putting yourself on the line for us. You almost died in an operation just so we could get what we needed. It creates a a good Martian little bond between them. And I'm glad that they didn't remain adversary toward each other because they could have easily done so. But they were able to teach each other a little bit about their own way of thinking. The other would be because, you know, she looked at Lee like she's a little criminal girl. And I'm sure... He looked at her like, oh, you're the, the Aunt Bobby that's so the war hero. Right. Well, I figured after Bobby beat her ass, you know, it was kind of, <laughs> they weren't going to be close anytime soon. Well, and I think part of it was when Bobby did go up that silo and back down and ran out of air that Lily was actually there with Isai saving her. So I mm-hmm. think that earned a little respect with Bobby, at least, that, yeah, Lily did stay instead of running off with the spoils. She stayed there to make sure Bobby was okay before she left. Lily so. also tried to try to get on with uh, Esai, and he wasn't feeling that. He's right. like, no, I'm married, ma'am. No. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, let's go on. over. Yeah, I didn't say, let's go over to uh, some other friends that we've been wondering what was happening about. Yes, we have. Oh, before asked- we leave, I got to ask you a question. Yeah. On the the bombing, did you catch who left the bomb? On I Mars? couldn't tell who it was. Was it Marco? Uh oh. So the only reason why I knew to even stop and pause this scene is because it's very reminiscent to the prologue in the fifth book, which is the book after this season right. called Nemesis Game. So we actually in the show, I'm wondering. I was just like. They're not going to do it. They're not going to do it because it's a really big moment. Yeah, that's Philip Anaros on that elevator telling her, I left you a present for you, B-I-T-C-H. And he almost killed our Aunt Bobby. But that was our son. Oh, (laughs) wow. I did not know. on that elevator. He was there. He's the one that was responsible for getting the stealth tech, which connects to the end of the episode. Did you catch that, Steve? No, I had to gone back and watch the episode again for it to click with me because we don't see Philip until later on in the episode and it wouldn't have registered. Exactly. Another belter. Oh. Yeah, it's just one of those things that's put in there for book readers, like blinking your myth. But then when you get to the end of the episode, you're thinking, oh, that that guy looks familiar. Right. (laughs) I've had a lot of people say, like, I feel like I saw him before, (laughs) before in this episode because everyone was waiting for the introduction of philip we heard about him all episodes 
So to know that he actually, I think that speaks more volumes than him walking uh, later on in that scene about exactly who Philip Anaros is. Right. So we see Ashford zooming through the asteroid belt. He's got a Martian officer on board who he's interrogating for information regarding Marcos Anaros and his connection to the sojourner. Yeah, interrogating. That's a nice way to say it. (laughs) Now, do you think what was happening was okayed by Ashford, though? I feel like the two belters that were really tatted up had a whole different agenda. Well, they were used to doing things the old way. So, yes, the belter had a Martian and was interrogating him. It was all out where Ashford knows that that can't be the way to continue. And so that's why he was chastising him for what they were doing to him. Gotcha. He's trying to bring his crew to his new sense of enlightenment, spending time with Drummer. And unfortunately, that that takes time. Yes. Right? He thought, he thought that's going to happen overnight and everyone's going to get it. But even for him, it took time. It took one, him being ridiculously wrong, him watching Drummer try to make this work, then him just acclimating. And then I think it really just resonated when he met Marco because Marco in a lot of ways is Ashford from his earlier years. Whatever Ashford was doing, they call him the ghost knife of a uh, Callisto, I believe is what they called him. So, I mean, his job was pirating, killing the inners, taking what they need, giving it back to the belt. That mantra, that the fanaticism that was very much Ashford. He's part of that OPA, the the militarized version of that, the terrorist version of that. So him, just a few months ago, after witnessing these cataclysmic events, now is grounded. He's also older, as he says in an earlier episode. It's like, yeah, I'm also getting old. And he's watching those old tapes of his son. And he's thinking, yeah, he could have had a better future. I brought him into this very mirroring, very much uh, Marco kind of again, brought my son into the pirating world of, of this is what we're doing. We're the OPA, we're the belt, this, we're righteous. And he lost his son. And I'm sure he probably never thought twice about whether or not there was another way. And I think that this whole experience really taught him that. Yep, I agree that he actually grew up in the last couple of seasons more than he has in the previous 50 years of his life. Of course, the Martian prisoner is able to take out one of his men. Oh, that was interesting. Yes. Blows that thing off the side so he can get a hold of it. That was a slick trick. But the other guy fills him full of bullets. So this Martian isn't going to be any help to anybody soon. No. Which sucks because what the heck is Marco doing? Right. It's like, when we find out some of this information, it's like, why is Mars helping? Because I feel like this is going to go really bad for everybody. Yep. I remember in season one, so I, I have a really long memory with Christian speeches, but her biggest fear ever was, God help us all, I believe is the exact words, if Mars and the belt decide they have the same goals. Right. And it's beginning to look like that might happen. Oh, this is bad. Of course, we see the Tynan finally catching up to Marcos's ship. And let's get on board. And what did see. you guys think about him boarding? I was 
really surprised that he went in. But at the same time, I'm like, he wanted Marco so bad, you knew he wasn't going to stay behind. And I really don't think there was that many people on his ship. I mean, we saw the two (laughs) guys at first, and I'm not sure there was too many more on the ship besides them. Yes, also keep in mind, though, he's used to doing this. This is his wheelhouse, pirating. Right. They're used to being a small crew of belters going after these huge colony ships, and these small crews just being, they're so tactical, they know exactly what they're doing. And he didn't even, I don't think Ashford even thought about it twice. He's like, oh, no, I found my prey. It's time to go. Yeah. And, of course, he comes out guns blazing. That was actually really slick. Oh, yeah. He did a great job of taking out most of Marcos's crew. And you actually think he has, because he finally makes it to the bridge, and there's Marcos, and it's him and Marcos, and it's like, pull the trigger, pull the trigger. I know. I'm like, don't let him talk. <laughs> yeah. Don't let him say a word. Well, I don't think he did kill most of the crew. And it took me on the second watch to catch, because I was like, wow, why does Marco have such a small crew? Right. <laughs> I really did ask that. I was like, that is a really... Really small crew for him, but I, I on rewatch, I noticed that he actually said, prepare to be boarded. I think he had most of his majority of his crew get away. He knew exactly what was happening. Yeah. And so Marcos tells him that they're not alone. And sure enough, we see a young man emerge from the shadows with a gun pointed at Ashford. And his name is Philip. And your uh-huh. heart breaks right then and there because you know. If Naomi ever catches wind of this, she will be heartbroken. I really wanted Ashford to say, oh, your mother's looking for you. Yeah. It's like something, because that smirk on his face, I wanted to reach through and slap him. (laughs) Everyone wanted to slap him at that moment. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, no. Because you just knew it was going to happen. I mean, Ashford, ever since he looked at that kid, a dumb kid, I was like, well, there's a dead man walking. Right? <laughs> Foreshadowing <laughs> much? All this. Yep. But, no, I think this moment was it's just beautiful. Again, I'm, I'm a sucker for dark irony, but he gets him on the bridge, and a lot of people are saying, why didn't he just shoot him? That's your goal. He doesn't need to say anything, just shoot him. Some people were like, well, maybe he didn't want to shoot him in front of Naomi's kid or, hey, your mama's looking for you, as you said. The, the thing is, I think on, on episode four, we, we know Marco's quite the storyteller. Oh, yeah. So this boy has been with his mama. I think Naomi said, I haven't seen my baby boy since he was a baby boy. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure the words your mama's looking for you, what, what that what reaction would be. Because his only influence is the OPA and his father, and his father can can spin a yarn very yeah. well. Yeah, and that's what I expect as well, is that Marcos has basically poisoned Philip's mind against his mom. So Ashford telling Philip that his mom's looking for him would have just probably made Philip pull the trigger. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel... That Marco probably told him, your mom's dead. Like, tried to make it like, oh, she didn't abandon you or anything. I took care of you because she died a long time ago. But Oh, but what would be better, though? What, with that story, that sounds like a nice, sweet story. Your mom couldn't do it for you. I'm sorry, she died. That's an acceptable reasoning, right? right. Versus Marco, who's yes. like, he called her weak for not 
wanting to be a terrorist. Right. And she's took joy in belter. that. She's hanging she's not out a with the inners now. And... Exactly. He knows exactly where she is, which is terrifying to me. So that's the thing about this series is all of the, the stuff we get with Naomi, we didn't get any of this into the fifth book. Like, Naomi was a black hole we knew nothing about. Not We didn't know she had a son. We didn't know who her ex was. So learning all this for the first time was just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you only knew Naomi for five books as one person. She's just always the, the belter who was kind, gentle. I mean, you, her backstory was so <laughs> just mind blowing because it, it came out of literally nowhere. We knew she had one, but man, we were not expecting the level of diabolicalness that is Marco. I don't make light of calling him a Hitler. No. Because he's just, I mean, I can't, I'm going to go to because that's all five. But we've only seen the beginning. And this poor boy, <laughs> seeing him, Naomi's in for some part of it. Yeah. So next we see Ashford trapped in the airlock. He seems rather at peace with things, knowing that he's about to be spaced, as he starts singing to himself. Now, I also noticed he started recording, though. Yes. Like, who is he sending that message to? If I because had to, I don't think we see it. Yeah, we don't know who it was, but if I had to guess, it's going to Drummer. Okay. Yeah. I thought that that's like the obvious choice, but I actually settled on, and I'm just playing devil's advocate, of Anderson Dawes. Because from what we have known from Ashford, he's never been in the... Like, he's really made this connection with Drummer, but she didn't want to join him into this. She's kind of done with politics. She made it very clear when she didn't want to join. She tracked down Marco that she's stepping away. So it could be a message to her to get her back in the game, but it also could be a message to Anderson Dawes to say, hey, this is what what's happening right now. Because he wouldn't be close with Fred. Yes. But Anderson is his pick. Yeah, I can see that as a, a warning. That you better stop this guy or you're going to have all hell breaking loose on you. Honestly, I, I was even thinking that somehow it was going to Avislara. That would be, be like, nice. see, not all belters are the bad guys you think we are or some shit. I don't know. That'd be awesome. Yes, it would. That would be. Of course, Marcos opens the airlock and Ashford's blasted out into space. Still seeing until his dying. Oh, man. That was a little rough. Yeah, because with the way Ashford has changed over the last two seasons, everybody's kind of pulled him in as somebody they like. Yeah, surprising. Oh, yeah. That's the thing. It's kind of like Anderson Dawes, right? The thing about them, when they're speaking their truth, it is their truth. Whether you believe it or agree with it or not, it's a life that they know. So even when he first showed up on the scene, you're kind of like, yeah, he's against our peep, but he's also kind of making a whole lot of sense. <laughs> I mean, he's the one that effectively convinces Naomi that she's on the wrong side of things. It just didn't go the way he thought it was going to go. So he's a person trying to find a way forward. They're all on the same time. They just have different ideas. But I just love how we saw the transition of Drummer becoming more Ashford as the season came along, where she's like, 
okay, it's more about belt identity. I'm less about trying to make this truth happen. And then you have Asher going, no, this truth needs to happen. Actually, this is important. You convinced me of it. This is the way for the future. So him then having that peace at the end, whoever he sent that message to, he know he did everything he could to make that happen in the future. But he sang the sea shanty he was singing to his son, yep. which was very poignant. Is that what it was? Yep. It's a sea shanty. Oh. A pirating sea shanty. So I think I did have a very it. like gallows thing to it. Yeah, after Ashford spacing, we see Philip and Marco planning their next move, and of course Marco wants to take on Earth. He's harnessed some stealth tech and plans on aiming his weapon at Earth. I thought he was aiming at the moon, because if you take out the moon, obviously, even from magicians, we know everything goes awry (laughs) on the planet. Yeah. So what's funny is, they don't say it in the show, but the moon, our moon is now lunar. Right. So that's actually a cultivated place where that's where all the politics people are going. The moon would have been a good target, right? A target you would expect people to go after. But I like Marco's last words to Ashford. Like, even our dreams are small. Like, we don't think on that same level of atrocity that the inners think. It's what really separates the two cultures is that even though we've had the Belters do bad things with OPA, they still not have nowhere near the level of actual calamity that the the inners, both Mars and Earth, have caused over the generations. I think it's very clear at this point that the Belters are essentially a slave race. So in his eyes, he's thinking, you know, even if we were to go after a target, it would be so small because we don't think to cause that much damage. So the irony is, is that exactly that message is going out with whoever he sent it to. They're thinking about what's happening with Mars. They're still trying to find these tiny targets. And yet his target is the entire Earth. We know how the dinosaurs were destroyed. Right. One asteroid. That man has at least, from what we can see, four or five huge rocks. Yes. All hurtling towards Earth. Because how do you reset the world? You get rid of the powers before it. Yep. Check in on Ellis. And, of course, we open the episode with the Koye in the glowing black hole. But, fortunately, Holden arrives and they get her out. And he checks to make sure she's okay. What'd you feel? Presence. Yeah, I've been there, done that. Yeah, but how long was she actually in the black hole? Just because it's moments in our time. Right. You know, no, that doesn't mean anything. Doesn't, yes, time is completely different in a black hole, so... Yes. Yeah. So what do you guys think that this black hole is? Because I I listened to your last podcast, and I remember you guys were having a lot of questions about this part of the story. I honestly don't know what it is. It can't just be a switch. I mean, that's what it looks like. But then when they pull back and we see the whole planet, I'm like, wait a second. Is the whole planet actually like this ship or something? Okay. So let me break this down. <laughs> this is the one part where I was like writing notes. I was like, oh, this is the part. And I understand this is a little weird. So what the technology that Miller, first of all, I'll break down investigative Miller versus proto Miller. So Miller 
is dead. He is one of the many of the people from Arrows, those voices that he's been hearing. We've been all season seeing remnants of Miller and remnants, what I like to call the investigator. That's the protomolecule built person from the DNA of Miller, which is why he has the hat on. He acts weird. He repeats over and over. That's the protomolecule controlling Miller to do its bidding by presenting itself to Holden as the investigator. He doesn't know that. So last episode, finally Miller broke free of the investigator and said, look, there's this bullet here from a war from really long time ago between the builders, whoever made the protomolecule, and whatever killed the builders. That bullet is from the enemy. So that's the little oracle shape that Okoye went into. They don't know anything other than it kills protomolecule, which is, that's all Miller knew. He just says, protomolecule don't want to go near it because it kills it. So what he wanted to do last episode was that he got into one of the machines. The machine was way bigger in the book and much more impressive. I was not a fan of the dog. (laughs) I I didn't think that was, that was one of the times I was like, oh, that's just the budget because it was huge. It felt more alien in the book. But the real Miller hijacks himself into all of the technology on the planet. And he says, all you got to do is take my dog-like form now that I'm hijacked into all the protomolecule and put it in this bullet. And that will effectively kill all the protomolecule tech on the planet. So that's what she did. But when she fell into, because she was not supposed to go into it, just him, she did slow down and she saw, it's not so much that if she slowed down, It's the word she says afterwards. There were things moving between the spaces. And that's all I'm going to say at this juncture. But slimy, snake-looking creatures floating around in there. Oh, no, not the creatures. In the black mist, when she, Okoye, has fallen backwards. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw something moving Mm. around in there. It looked like the creature. Okay. While she was inside. Okay, okay. (laughs) Okay. I'm just trying to put too much emphasis on creatures. Like, shut up. I can't say anything more. (laughs) So So did I answer all those questions from... (laughs) I know that's a lot. Oh, yeah. But it it actually... This little small part about the builders, again, I love how they just drop something in there. And it may seem very small, but you're going to go back to this conversation plenty of times, particularly if this show goes six or seven or eight seasons, because that's important. Yeah. A big red circle around that. Yes. This is something that we'll have to stay in our back pocket for a while. But, yeah, it's nice to know we do have something that can take out the protomolecule. Now, Holden goes wow. to find Amos <laughs> Lane. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. On a lifeless Chandra. That was yeah. heartbreaking. Thanks. Thanks for showing me that one. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to just tear you up. I knew like, Son of a... Yeah, basically, as soon as I seen that. There were some swear words. But his fingers still blown off. Yeah. So Holden helps his friend to his feet, and hopefully Amos's fingers will be reassembled with some tech. Of course, that auto dock is like magical. Oh, <laughs> when Okoye said that that could happen, I'm like, what? Yeah. I don't think they really make it clear in the show that like our life expectancy is way, way longer now. <laughs> like the things in the world that have been cured, like 
living to a hundred is not unheard of. You can regrow just about. I mean, we saw someone broke their spine and drove her, and she they grew her whole entire spine. So it takes a lot to kill. Other than well, I guess we pull it to the handle view. <laughs> or getting space. <laughs> or getting space. Yeah, no coming back from that. Right. And everything else, we got auto dock. Yep. So later on, we see Holden, Okoye, Amos, and Murtry inside the chamber. Everything seems to be getting back to normal. Naomi urges Holden to climb up to the top of wherever he's at so they can get a reading on him. Yeah, I think that was more like, okay, I'm going to do this. That doesn't look like too far of a climb. I'm looking at it going, what? (laughs) Did you not just get shot? Yeah, that's what it is. After everything he's been through, he's like, look, if this is going to get me out of (laughs) here... I will get my 40th win. Right? So he does make it all the way to the top and takes in a view of something that just doesn't look the same anymore. And I thought this was amazing. Because you figure when he'd get up there, you know, you'd see the water receding in the land. But oh no, you've got all these buildings everywhere. Exactly. That's why I'm like, is the whole planet actually this ship or something? These giant whatever. That's what it seemed like. It's kind of like a abandoned factory. That's right. the best way I can in lady term put it. I think when he was going through the explanation, or I might be booknowledging here, I can't recall, but the proto-molecule basically was sent to the planet to do what it does best, which is hijack it. And once it hijacked it, the builders were using this basically like one of their way stations. So it's a lot of their technology there built from the proto-molecule. But this was pretty much their gas station or something. Ah. Or their equivalent to a gas station. Right. Now, of course, the Rossi crew lets Holden know that the protomolecule truly is inert. Yay. Definitely, it's kryptonite. (laughs) Yeah, I say yay, because I don't believe it's going to keep going that way. But I'll hold on hope, at least for the end of the episode. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the whole, and I think I can say this. Yes. I think I can say this, because we're not coming back to this this planet. Very much this is a standalone, strangely enough, book in the series. Right. Most fans of The Expanse actually hate this book, because it's so, uh, other than a little bit of information that they learn in the ruins, most of it is very just not connected to much of anything. But the whole basis for this adventure that we went on was that Avasarala wanted Holden to go to this planet and basically screw stuff up. You know, those words she told him, don't put your thing in it. That's right. exactly what she wanted to do. She yeah. wanted him to go down there, create chaos. The Belters and the, the RCE, they'll be at each other's throats, which they were in the book. Man, you couldn't pick a side because they both were killing. It was guerrilla warfare on that planet. They did not ramp it up in this, in the series nearly as much because they want you to be empathetic more towards the Belters, but Scotty and, and Coop were taking down some RCD. They were setting up ambushes. This is the one thing that remained the same was the mayor. She definitely had no clue what was going on half the time, but it was bloody. And that's exactly what Alice Arala wanted. She wanted everyone to get off the planet. Everyone says, this sucks. We're never doing these rings and never come back. The irony being, Holden going to the planet is what started everything in the first place. Everything on the planet was inert. There was no protomolecule threat. He actually created every bad event that happened on this planet. 
And thus, her whole, that's why she's just like, dang it, she couldn't have wrote a better story herself. The Belters and R.C. come together, and now they're choosing to stay on the planet and work together, and this is the best Kumbaya story, and now they all got rich, too. Right. So, now her plans just went out the window. <laughs> that's the huge play in the book that's so funny, is that she didn't want it to happen, but she's the one that actually caused the rings to open by putting Hogan there. Right. So later on, see Felicia is on board the Barb, and she's now on route to Tycho Station, where she's going to pursue her engineering dream. Good for her. Yay. Something good. Yes. I hope. We get to see her part ways with her mother who's now with her husband and their adopted son back on Ellis. So we close the book on Lucia's story as well, as they live happily ever some. <laughs> <laughs> this is a gender-bent character, Lucia. Right. Actually, she was the wife of another character named Baja, who was the father of another character named Katoa, who died which explains a lot more of the reasons why in the book Baja was so closely to gay people because he felt a lot of feelings about what they did to his son. Right. But you don't get that whole thing in the book or in the show. No. So we go check on the Rossi and all of a sudden the reactor turns back on and everybody is able to restart their engines. Yay! I was questioning if everybody's were going to turn back on or if somehow it was just the Rossi. That would have been really interesting if it was just the Rossi. Then you would say the maybe there was still something going on down there. <laughs> oh, it wouldn't have mattered. Rossi's the only gunship up there, so the Edward Israel lights on or off <laughs> would have been getting that conversation from Alex saying, oh, okay, my real gun's back now, so let's have a conversation about what you just did. Yeah. I'm throwing that bomb. There's not going to be a fight up in that sky. There's only one dominant. Yep. And later on, everybody is back on the Rossi. Good to see our crew finally reunited. And yeah. find out that Okoye and Sarkis are actually going to stay on the planet as well. And we see Amos and Mercury in the med bay. Oh my god. You know Amos is like, you are so dead later, man. Oh, just wait. Yeah. Just like he's itching. Yeah. His hands can't heal soon enough. Right? I don't blame him because, I mean, I think I did tell you this last episode that Amos didn't kill, didn't kill her, that it was actually Mercury that killed Way. So him saying I'm screwed up in the head, that really takes it to a whole nother level. But we knew Mercury set up Way. To be honest, oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he sent her out there knowing Amos had already made it very clear. You don't want to try that with my people. She was the one who could not understand that if you draw the line, I'm not going to choose you. And he knew that and used her as a distraction to blow his fingers off because he knew a one-on-one -on -one fight. It was never going to happen with him and Amos. <laughs> that makes it worse. It just makes well. it worse. You used her, got her killed. As a diversion. Yeah. Of course, Holden reports to Ava Solara that things are A-OK -okay on Illus, and they scrub the last bit of protomolecule that was down in the Rossi, and Holden launches it into a sun. Well, why didn't they just put it in a canister and drop it back into the black hole? 
I, that would make more sense to me. Right. <laughs> I think it was more symbolic. Like, I think if it was just protomolecular, like, yeah, whatever. But this was the last connection to Miller. Right. So it was more like the funeral he never really got to have. Yep. So sent them off and, and let him go into the sun as a nice gesture. Yep. At least that's how I took it. Yeah, absolutely. But on the was, black hole. Yeah, it was his way of honoring <laughs> Miller and everything that Miller's done for him. So hopefully, now with Miller gone, Holden won't be having ghosts in his head, unless another one somehow pops up. Because I still think there's some protomolecule inside him, even though they checked him and it says he's clean, but I still think he may be connected. Well, I will tell you, Steve, that is still a question mark. Eight books in. Holy crap. <laughs> it's a question. It really, I mean, fans, we still debate it. Right. Because there's something, it wasn't just the protomolecule. Obviously, it would talk to anybody. It had to do something physically for it to be able to hit Holden's button so that he can communicate with it. So there's this big, because we haven't gotten the ninth book yet, but we're still going, is the protomolecule somewhere in the gym? Yep. I'm on the side. Interesting. Of it is. He's yeah, I don't think it's gone. Yeah. So that's one thing you can speculate on forever because we honestly don't know the answer. And right. I'm of the opinion, just based on nothing else, that it had to have done something to his brain. Right. Yeah, there's got to be something, a little neuron running around in there that's got some photomolecule in it. Now we see Naomi catching up on the news. And, of course, she learns of Marcos resurgence in the media and gets on the horn and calls Fred Johnson, telling him that she's upheld her end of the bargain and now it's time for him to do the same. She wants him to find her son, Philip. Well, that won't work out well. Later on, we see Amos having a little chat with Mercury. <laughs> and, of course, Holden wants Murtry to be tried in a court of law for his crimes, but I think this is time for Amos to not turn the other cheek. And Murtry strikes Amos in the face, and that's all Amos needed. <laughs> oh my god. The look on Murtry's face when Amos turned around, <laughs> and like the, that cold, dead look in his eye. Yeah. Like, Murtry's face, it was just a little bit of a change, but you see, and he's like, "Oh damn!" Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, you have to I messed check. up. <laughs> I don't think he knew fully what he was playing with. No, no, no. But that look was just so awesome. I had to stop because I actually started cracking up, knowing he's about to get uh, the beatdown of his life. Right. <laughs> but that look on his face, oh, that was everything I could have asked for and more. Yeah. We finally get to see that Amos come back out again. We saw it in season one, not so much in two and three, and sure didn't see it except for that one meeting they had where they were going to say, yeah, we're just alike and we need to finish this. That's the only other time we've seen it in Amos. So, yeah, it was uh, not time for the, the real Amos to come back. Well, that's Amos's journey, too. It's almost like he's taken the season a, a backseat, and I think some of the things that they're setting up at the end of this episode, particularly with the Rossi crew, is going to very much be explored in the next season. I can say that without spoiling anything. Right. So 
putting where their mindsets are is, is very important for Amos. It's almost as if he's taking a step back. He went out in the world. He's making his own decisions. I'm not going to rely on Cap. I'm not having Naomi tell me what to do. I'm doing my own things. I'm, he's the sheriff of the town for the moment that he was. And here he went off on this own independent little quest of his. He had got himself a girlfriend and it ended awfully, <laughs> terribly, in the feeling the woman that he really liked, uh, she was used against him. And so I think mentally he, it's almost like he tried to be a, an adult and it didn't work out the best way he wanted. So now he's kind of went back into his more base feeling. And I think that's going to also precipitate another journey because now he has to figure out he's had the romantic love. He's got family. What does he want from him? Right. And that'll be interesting to see how his journey continues. It'll be interesting to see how Alex progresses because really we only got to see him with Lucia most of the time and just <laughs> trying to give her some wisdom. Giving her knickers and he yeah. got <laughs> yeah, we know Naomi's going to be on the search for her son. And mm, so, but yeah. is her son looking for her? Yeah. Marco looking for her. Yeah, that might. Those are scares. Well. Freaks me out every time. Anybody that knows my movement creeps me out. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know where they're at. Like, I can't find you, but you know where I've been for That's, all this time. Yeah, you know? not a good thing. Well, we do have some feedback, of course. We aren't going to get any from Christina because she's on with us. But <laughs> we do have some from our friend Fred from the Netherlands. So let's take a listen. Hello, Steve and Sean. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for the X-Bound Season 4, Episode 10. The Season 4 Finale. When Ashford is interrogating the Martian Aram Lee. The Martian says anything can be used as a weapon when Ashford accuses him of selling weapons to Marcos Inaros. Of course this remark bounces back later when he uses just a tool to kill one of the belters. Great was the scene where Alex talked to Lucia, convincing her that she still has a chance to talk to her family and preventing actually what happened to him and his family. Very nice. Also great was the talk between Naomi and Holden about Lucia and giving her a second chance, although she was, well, at least partly guilty of crashing the shuttle, Mercury shuttle, and a lot of people were killed in that accident. Apart from all this very nice talking, also between actually Bobby and Lily, there were a lot of death and violent stuff in this episode as well. I already talked about the Martian who killed the Belter, and all the killings on Mars with the ambush Isai and Lily went into. Class Ashford being spaced by Marco Inaros. I think Class Ashford was a very nice character in this season. Very bright, very true, and nice acting of David Straithang, who I know from the series Alphas, as Dr. Lee Rosen. Alphas sadly only had two seasons. As predicted by me, by chance, <laughs> Avacerela didn't win the elections. She had a very nice recording towards Nancy Gao. Really great of her. And I also predicted that probably the connection between Bobby and Avacerela had to wait until the season finale. Although Avacerela is not very happy with it because the timing is actually quite bad. 
But I really wonder which role she will play in the next season. Okay, that were all my insights into the Expanse season finale. Looking forward to what happens next season. Fortunately, Steve, this is not a big goodbye because I will meet you at the Captain's Chair podcast, the Picard podcast. But Sean, it probably will take a while before we speak to each other again. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Well, thank you very much, Fred, for that great feedback. I know we touched on a couple of the things that you brought up. We did not mention the conversation between Holden and Naomi when deciding what to do with Lucia. And How did you guys feel about that? I think Holden made the right decision. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, too, when he starts saying about how she was blown into space and... Naomi couldn't save her. It took Naomi a minute to realize what he was saying. Right. (laughs) So I thought that was kind of sweet to give her that second chance. Because I really don't think that Lucia is the horrible person that it they were trying to make her out to be. Well, Mercury was trying to make her out to be. So hopefully she'll do good with this second chance. Yeah, I think she will. You know, being brought into... That's why I'm, I'm almost kind of sad they didn't. Like, Because at the end of this, I almost had a, a mixed feeling about it. Not because of how it... Just on execution. Because um, not to flip-flop between the books. But in the books, it, it was a little bit more understandable why Holden let Baja go. One, Baja came to him first and said, Look, I'm guilty of some stuff. So that was them turning themselves in and then facing the consequence. And then it was a moment of, okay, I can see how you got led here. And they kind of did that a little bit with Lucia. We do keep in mind that her actions hadn't, if she hadn't blown it early, everyone would have died. So she at least gave those people on the ground, like Mercury, the fighting chance to still be alive. Otherwise, this would have been a terrible catastrophe for everyone. And then some would also argue, well, you were the one that kind of put this in place, intentions or not. So I can see those people out there thinking maybe she got a little off easy. You know, that Holden was saying all this stuff about you need to be held accountable for your action. But I think he made the human decision in this moment and the moral one. And it's the only one he made on this planet. And I think that to me, that's just a, a reflection of how he was able to connect Lucia to Naomi and him feeling that the right thing to do in this case superseded what the more, not morally, but political right thing would have been to do. Right, where he's planning on taking Mercury in to have him stand trial for his crime and to turn his back to the crimes that Lucia had committed was, like you said, that was... One of those morally gray areas which Holden seems to have to live in all the time, and I do believe he did make the right decision. Oh, yeah. Like I said, I just wish they had executed it just just a little bit back, because you really understood. Like, yeah, I turned myself in, and I'm ready to... It didn't even seem as if Lucia, that's my only critique of her character this season, was that she wasn't overly remorseful. until we got to the point where she wanted to kill herself. Then you were feeling that. But then after that, it became, we got to save the ore. We got to save the ore. We can't die for no reason. I got those points, but it could have been a little bit more focused on the fact that lives were lost, that were innocent. We don't know what 
happened with those RCE people coming down. And we can't ignore that in favor of siding with the Belters when Mercury was an ass. Right. See, yeah, we touched a little bit on Ashford. I'm glad to see you liked him as much as we have grown to like him over the last two seasons. Congratulations on your predictions that Ava Solara was not going to win the election, and then her and Bobby would somehow get together at the end of the episode. Let's hope that happens. I know, and Christina will be able to talk more about this, is that, yeah, in the book that, what is it, book four for this season, that Mm -hmm. it was all about Illis. And Mm -hmm. so they had to basically write in, you know, they had the novella for Bobby's story, but they basically wrote in Christian's story. Did they pull it from book five? Uh, Christian's story came, that was written completely for the show. There's no book reference. She never had a campaign. She never, Nancy Gow was the, was the choice, but there was never a need to go against Nancy. She was still behind the scenes at this point. She, in the book, makes it very clear that she does never wants to be statesman. She never wants to be that one person. Right. Because that's not a where the power is. So even sending Holden to the planet, she was able to do that by the current UN, influencing him to do it. Right. So that whole thing was just to, in my opinion, flesh out Christian's character from who we know as the politician, but also as the person. It connects. It's almost like in season two and three, she went on this long journey of discovery and it was almost like she was constantly being put out of her comfort zone and she was having to lean on belters and, and different people that weren't her quote-unquote friends to figure out this huge conspiracy. And then now that all that adrenaline and hype is going on, what happens to that character? And they really did a really fantastic job, in my opinion, of honestly giving her an arc that feels true to her, but also explains why explicitly in the book she would never be a UN secretary. Right. All right. Yeah, I don't know what she's going to do next year either, though. I was going to say that for Fred. I, I, even though I've read book five, Christian's a very smart, small part of it. So they can be doing more storyline for her for the series just because her character is so popular. The same with Drummer. Like, she's not a, she's very small character in the book. She barely has anything. So she's a combination of several different other characters. So they have surprises in store for us for people who don't read the books on what they could do because that's my big question too, Fred. I'm like, I don't know what Christian's going to do in book five because what I did get, it wasn't too much. There's too much going on. And I don't, I think the reason why they also may give her a big arc this year is that she is going to have a small arc next year. There's just right. too much in book five that it's, I, I'm just going to tell you right now, get a, get a ventilator, get an oxygen mask, and <laughs> be prepared to hit something every week because it's going to be nonstop. I love the way that sounds. Well, Fred, we really appreciate all your feedback over the season and the last few years. And there you go. You got it straight from the horse's mouth there. Get ready for season five. Thanks, Fred. Thanks, Fred. And goodbye for now, but we're not gone. All right. Well, you know how we felt. You know how Fred felt. Why don't you let us know how you felt? Shoot us an email, sci-fi talk at 
zone.com and we will respond to you since this is the last episode of the season. And while you're at it, if you can rate and review us on iTunes and every other platform you find us on, because good ratings and reviews help other fans of the show find us, tell your friends about this show. They can now watch so many seasons, just binge through all of it. And if they're feeling really froggy, they can read all the books. But I don't know if they can get through all of those unless they're speed reader because they're really big books. Yes, they are. And we, of course, hope you're enjoying the podcast. And uh, make sure you check out the website, www.fangirlzone.com. And you have our contact page there. You can let us know all your thoughts that way as well. And for this episode of Sci-Fi Talk, I am Sean Fangirlass. And I'm Steve. Earth will never see it coming. And Christina, would you like to give a going away for this episode? Thank you guys for having me on. It's been a pleasure. I can talk about Expanse anytime. So if you want to hit me up on my Twitter, <laughs> Black Girl Couch, you can, because I would love to continue the conversation on this really long hiatus till season five. And until next time. <laughs>